Father Jesus, we give you praise, glory, and honor. We thank you for this day, the opportunity to be in the house of God with the people of God. Father, we now bind and rebuke in and spirits anything that's not of you, Father. In the name of Jesus and by your authority and power, I rebuke it. It must flee. It has no dominion, no power here. We pray, Father, that the love of God would be shown to each and every person that comes through the door. Let your Holy Spirit fill this place, Father Jesus. Anoint those of us who are appointed to teach, praise, worship, sing, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, our jobs are today, and even those that are sitting here to be fed, Father. Anoint us to be the people of God, to exhibit you, exhibit Jesus, Father Jesus. Give us your wisdom and understanding. Open our hearts and help us to see with your eyes and to fill with your heart, Lord, and to love as you love and to speak and move and be as you are, Father Jesus. We pray your blessings upon our pastor as he travels to and fro today. Give him wisdom and courage and understanding, Lord, beyond his years, Lord Jesus. Give him safety of travel as you do the rest of us as we come and go today. Bless those that teach our children, Father. Help them, protect them, guide and direct our children, Lord. Keep your hand upon them each and every day. Even when we're not there, Father, we know that you are forever with them and yet you will guide and lead and direct them. Give them protection when they don't have the strength or the understanding to help themselves, Lord. You send your angels to take care of them. We give you praise, glory, and honor. Bless those, Lord Jesus, that aren't here because of illness of the body. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over that, and I rebuke it in Jesus' name, whatever it may be. A child of God has wholeness, wholeness of spirit and wholeness of body, wholeness of mind, and we claim it through the blood of Jesus Christ. We give you praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Um, if I give this um, sermon a title, this lesson a title, I said, What looks like a loss is really a win. Is really a win. Yesterday morning, God woke me up, and he told me, he says, Everything you need is in the garden. Everything you need is in the garden. And we, will, we read the story about Jesus in the garden. We see a, a man, um, even though he was all God and all man, we see a man who was battling with um, his flesh. He goes and he takes his disciples so far and he leaves some there and he takes three more, the inner circle, a little further out. And then he even goes further away from them into the garden. And Matthew says he falls on his face to the ground. And he's praying because he can feel the pressure of what's coming. And in some, and in some of the other um, versions of the Bible, it says that he'd sweat be claimed as blood. It, that's some powerful sweating. <laughs> that's some powerful pressure. Um, I know there's been times in my life, and I'm sure that you have experienced it too, that when you, things come, the choices come to make, you feel that pressure. You feel that pressure. And you feel like sometimes you're even going to burst. And sometimes it's not even the pressure of just making the right decisions. It's the pressure of living a life dedicated to God. Not everything goes the way I wanted it to. Not everything goes the way I planned it to. But I have to go to the garden. And I have to fall on my face and on my knees and say, Father, not my will but yours. That's a jagged pill to swallow. Because the flesh wants what it wants. And we are all born flesh. It's the curse of Adam. 
It's the, the fallen, uh, the other garden. <laughs> he had to go through that one garden to de defeat what was done in the other garden. But what looks like a loss is really a win. The Bible says that if we lose our lives for his sake, then we gain it. Then we gain it. And this week I was studying Esther. I was looking over and reading Esther. And it's a well-known Sunday school lesson that we teach our children. We talk about it a lot. But as I was listening to it, God spoke to me and he says, well, it looks like a loss is really a win. So I dove a little deeper into Esther's life. And, you know, Esther, she wasn't born into this greatness according to the natural standards. Esther was one of the virgins that was gathered to go to the king. And in my own state of mind in this day and age, I find that offensive. Probably was a common accustomed thing for them, but I want to choose who I want to choose to be my spouse. But it says that Esther found favor even in the household of the Munichs, the ones that have had charge over her. But let's look at Esther 2 real quick. And it talks about her, her, her actually he's her, her cousin Mordecai. Because if you look at verse 7, it says, And Mordecai brought her up, Hassandus, Hassandus this is Esther, his, his uncle's daughter. So actually Mordecai, we say a lot of times it was her uncle, but I think it was her cousin. Her cousin, he brought her, brought her up, says, When her father and mother were dead, he took her for his own daughter. Many of us... We look at our past and we see all the things that went wrong in our past, even the ones that we didn't make the choice to have happen. And we stay and we live in that loss or what we count as loss. But you know, I serve a God. We call him Jehovah Jireh. He's a provider. You know, he just doesn't provide for me in that one moment, at that one time. But he sees all. He provided for me back then. He provided for me now. He's going to provide for me in the future. He's not just the instant provider. He's been providing for me my whole life. And I can stand as the adult that I am now and look back and see where he kept me. Did things happen to me? Yes. I'm not going to say I had a perfect life, nor did, was I a perfect person. But he kept me. My father and mother's prayers probably covered so many things. And my grandparents and, and those that were holy and God-fearing men and women before me. But he kept me because I had purpose. It's my choice to walk in that destiny. Just like Esther does. So let's go on. She's, she's an orphan, basically, being raised by her cousin. Thank God for family that will step up and do the right thing at the right time. And so it comes to pass when the king's commandment and his decree were heard, this is verse 8, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shenshan, the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house to the custom 
uh, custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Usually they were eunuchs. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens, which were met to be given her out of the king's house, meet to be given to her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maidens unto the best place of the house of the women. Esther's already walking in favor. This man that is in charge of all these maidens, he has favor. He sees her and takes her kind favor upon her. He gives her the best of everything. He gives her what she needs immediately. She didn't have to wait like some of the other girls to get what they needed for their purification. Why was that important? Because they had, uh, I think it was uh, almost a year of purification before they could even be presented to the king. It was a whole elaborate um, plan that they had to purify them before they went into to the king. But she was given everything immediately, and she got the best of the housing. We'll just put it that way. Right off the bat, her and her seven maidens, they found favor already. Let's go on. Verse 10, Esther had not showed her, her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should, should not show it. In other words, she didn't tell him what descent she was. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Now when every maiden's turn was come to go into the king, after that she had been 12 months, according to the manner of the women, for so were the days of their purification accomplished to wit six months with oil and myrrh, six months with sweet odor, and with other things for the purifying of the women. Then thus came every maiden unto the king, Whatsoever she desired was given to her to go with him out, with her out of the house of the woman into the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned into the second house of the women to the custody of another uh, king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted her and that she was called by name. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the, the uncle of Mordecai, who had given her for his daughter, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king. She required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. So she took nothing more than what she needed. And as Esther, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. So Esther went into the king and into his royal house in the tenth month which is the month uh, Tabith in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vastia. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast, and he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. Can you see favor in Esther's life already? But when you look at Esther's life, do you, do you see the good over the bad? It's hard to get past that she was orphaned, being raised by a cousin. Now she's been taken in to be one of the concubines 
of the uh, of the king, and for a, a Jewish woman, for an Israelite woman, that may not have been a place of honor. I doubt it. I doubt it. They had such high standards. <laughs> but we know the story, and I won't read it all, but I, let's skip over to verse, uh, chapter 3 talks about Haman's plot. Haman had this thing about Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't kneel to him and give him what he thought was his due respect. So Mordecai plotted to kill Haman, or Mor uh, so Haman plotted to kill Mordecai and all his nation. Now, he didn't know that the queen was the same nationality of this. So the decree goes out that on a such and such date that the people are supposed to rise up against the Israelite people and kill them, slaughter them. Man, woman, child, everybody. No mercy. And take all that they have. And then Haman finds out about it. And he's, I mean, Mordecai finds out about it. And he's sitting at the king's gate and he's ripped his clothes and he's sitting there in sackcloth and ashes and he's mourning. And the queen... Esther at this time goes out and she's sending her people out. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And he sends word back to her and finally says, do you not know, do you not know what's going on around here? Let's read kind of that story. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasurer for the Jews. Now Haman actually was going to get money for all the Jews that were being slaughtered to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shusan to destroy them, to shew it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to change, uh, charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make a request before him for her people. And Hattach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And again, Esther spoke unto him and gave him command unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's providence do know that what, what, whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king and to the inner court who is not called, there is one law for his to be put him to death except such to whom the king should hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king, unto the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther words. She's not seen the king for 30 days. See, you could only come to him unless you were, uh, unless you were called. To come to him, even in the inner courts, meant certain death. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with, your, with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargements and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Did you ever think of all the things that you consider lost in your life was just putting you in a position to do something great. Not for yourself, maybe. Maybe for others. Did you ever think that? That your sordid past, your failures, what you consider loss, would be a gain. Not only for yourself, but for everyone that you're 
associated with and for those that you can reach. There's a scripture in the Bible, and it's in the Old Testament, that says that we are called, and I'm going to paraphrase it, we are called to snatch them from the flaming fires. That's, that's urgency. That's at the last minute. My loss is going to be your gain. But, you know, I've got to learn to walk and talk and be victorious as the blood of Jesus Christ has given me. I'm not going to be able to help anybody if I'm so bound up in my own self, my own self-pity, my own anger, my own bitterness, my own destructive thinking, destructive talking, destructive behavior. That's all loss. That does nothing but like a cancer eats you from the inside out. It destroys you and everything you touch. I saw this thing on Facebook this morning or yesterday. I don't know when I looked at it, but it was two pieces of fruit hanging together, and one had rotted, and the one next to it had, it had spread to the next one. Don't tell me poison can't affect, rot can't affect something else. It can. It comes in contact with it. It spreads. It's venomous. But here we are. Esther hasn't even been seeing the king for 30 days. She's kind of out of touch with what's going on, I guess. She's kind of caught up in her own world. Does that sound like any of us? We get sidetracked by things, don't we? And sometimes even when good things happen to us, we look at this pretty shiny, glittery thing, and we kind of get distracted from all that we're supposed to be doing, what we're called to. Be careful. The enemy has many traps along the way. It says, verse 15, And then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shusan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three nights, three days, nights, or day, night or day, and I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. She's taken a leap of faith. This is not the law. You know, we do live by the law of the land. But we also live by the law of God. A lot of the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to look at things through the natural eye. We're supposed to see and walk and talk and believe in the the eternal. Don't lay your treasures up on the what you see, but on the eternal. Because what we see is gonna be gone. I've attended many funerals and I've seen none of them take their homes, their cars, their jobs, even their spouses, their children all their things with them. The caskets close and they're gone. Don't lay your treasures here on earth. I'm not saying don't work and provide and have nice things. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about in the spiritual sense. Don't let anything come between you and God. We talked about it last week with the bush. The bush is still burning. The bush is burning. He... He was burning. The bush was burning, and Moses was going by. He's on the backside of the desert, and he says to himself, read the scripture, I am going to turn around and see 
And when he did that, God spoke to him. And the first thing he told him to do was take your shoes off. I don't want anything between me and you. You're on holy ground. Accept your calling. Shed what needs to be shed. But don't get caught up in looking at the losses. Too many times, many people will not walk in their calling because they don't want to give up whatever it is they think they have. Here, I've got a newsflash for you. God gave that to you to begin with. You think your blood, sweat, and tears did it? Maybe some, but God provided it. God can shut doors just like he opens them. Too many people are caught up with, I can't come and do this because that's just too early for me. I'll be here all day long. (laughs) I don't give up my Sunday morning. I don't want to give up my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays to study, to pray, to fast, to get a fresh word from God, to walk in the anointing of God, to be under the shadow of the Almighty. We're okay with just coming on one or two nights a week, if then. Maybe I'll catch it on Facebook. But if then, and get my feel, make myself feel a little better. And all along. They're walking by the bush. They're checking their losses and not seeing the gain. (laughs) So Esther calls for a fast. It's biblical. It's okay. Your body's going to scream and cry. It will. It will have a fit. It will have a fit. It wants what it wants when it wants it. It'll make you think you're going to (laughs) die. It will. Drink some water. (laughs) Unless you're doing a total fast. (laughs) Listen to the Lord. Don't listen to me. But what is that? What what is the fasting all about? I won't go into the scriptural, biblical stuff about it, but I'll give you my synopsis of it, my short understanding. It's denying the flesh to draw near to him. It's showing that you're willing to be submissive, obedient, God, I will do without just because I want to be closer to you. Some people do it with purpose. They need answers. They need guidance. They need direction. And that's fine. That's fine. It's all all in how you want to do it. But I'm showing you, Father, I'm going to put myself in this desire in your hands. And I'm going to do without this, whatever it may be. I don't know your health conditions. You do what God tells you to do. Because I would need this from you. I need to be closer to you. I love it. She chose three days. That's a resurrection. Our Savior was in the grave three days. So the next day came. Go to chapter 5. Now it came past to pass on the third day that Esther put on her royal apparel. And I want to tell you something. If you ever want to feel powerful, (laughs) when you come off a fast, your flesh is weak, but your spirit is roaring like a lion. Ain't no devil in hell can defeat you. You can't, he can't defeat you now, but (laughs) even without the fasting. But with the fasting, it gives you a strength that you see that God is with you. Jehovah Jireh, he is provided. Maybe the flesh is weak, but the spirit is so strong. 
On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes, stand as royal people. We are called to be a royal priesthood. And stood in the inner court of the king's palace. Now remember, she can die. It was instant death, according to my research. If someone come to the king without being bidden, save he put the scepter out to him. In front of the king's quarters, and while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther, notice she is identified as something different, standing in the court, and this is the ESV version, she won favor in his sight. She hadn't even spoke a word. She just showed up. Do you know you have that favor? <laughs> when it's a loss, looks like a loss, it's a win. He just saw her standing out there and had favor, said, oh, there is my queen. Bring her in. To some of us today, the scepter is being held out. It's being held out. What you thought was a loss is going to be a gain. It says, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won his favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. Could you imagine what she felt for three nights and three days? knowing that she's going to put her very life on the line, that she could die instantly. How many times has your decisions brought you to that conclusion? I could count on my fingers, probably none. Maybe I thought I was going to die, but not a physical death. Just, you know, what I wanted was going to die. As God told me yesterday when I woke up, all you need is in the garden. Garden is submission. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Lord, thy will, not mine. I've been reading 2 Corinthians 4. It says, For what cause we faint not, but through our outward, though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What you see as a loss is really a gain. And then I started thinking about all the saints and how they had all lost something. Joseph was traded. He was mistreated by his own family, sold into slavery. They got into a house and then was put in jail for a false accusation, spent many years in jail before he even got to come before the king. But he's standing there years later in this power, this position of power, this position to save lives. And his brothers come looking for food because of the famine in the land. And he tells them after a whole scenario of things that go on, he says, you know, it's, it's me. And said, you mean it for harm, but God meant it to save lives. He realized it just wasn't for him. It just wasn't for him. Paul, Paul, this well-educated man who had this one-on-one -on -one encounter on the road to Damascus who was blinded 
and then made to see and then walk in the power of Jesus Christ going around preaching Jesus crucified. The man that had the power to go into cities and bring the Christians out, the followers of Jesus out, and imprison them and, and put them to death. He gave it all up, all that power, all that position. And he spent his life talking about Jesus and most of it in prison, in jail. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. I mean, Paul had so many things that you could sit down at one point and just cry and think, okay, I'm done, I'm over with. But no, we, we're just earthing vessels. I love that in, in second chapter, uh, Second Corinthians 4, earthing vessels. That means I am not perfective. I am not perfection. I, I don't look like something that somebody may want, but all my losses are gains. Paul wrote all these wonderful letters that we now know as most of the New Testament. And we live day by day, striving and pressing toward the mark that he wrote about, that he experienced in his own life. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We talked about that a couple of Sundays ago, being led by the Holy Spirit. He guides us, but we have the choice to let him lead us. Take me in that direction. So I am being changed by every situation, every day. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm going, I want to be the reflection of God. I want to look like Jesus. I want to talk like him, look like him, and walk like him. We pray that prayer a lot, but do you realize what that's going to bring you? In the natural, you'll see loss. But in the spiritual, it's all gain. It's all gain. We do it with the right attitude. I was thinking this morning about Ruth and Naomi. Their life wasn't easy. Naomi and her husband moved away from famine to another land. Their sons married women from the local uh, people. And then a famine hit there, and then they lost all the men in the family. And Naomi's going back broken to her family with nothing. And Ruth refuses to give up. Sometimes that war is in my own body, in my own head. There's this disappointment. There's this bitterness. There's this angry. There's this brokenness. And then there's this Ruth spirit, this Holy Spirit that's going around, and it's got joy, and it's got love, and it's got peace, and it's got um, all these wonderful things that I'm supposed to be. And the two of them are having this conversation, trying to decide who's going to talk. How am I going to walk today? Who am I going to be today? Bitterness and anger. But if you read the story, Ruth never gives up. She keeps striving forward, doing what needed to be done with the proper attitude, same as, um, same as Esther. She knew what to do. She knew to fall on her face, get before the God. Give me that strength and power to go forth and do what you've called me to do. Obviously, at this time, I'm here for this appointed time. And she says, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. The Bible says for us to live 
is to be here, but to die is gain. To die is gain. And I take that in the literal sense and the spiritual sense. To die is gain. What my losses may look like to me are really gains. They're really wins. We'll call them wins. They're wins. I hope this message has encouraged you some. Keep the right attitude. As Philippians 4 and 8 says, think on the things that are true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, anything of good report, anything of a virtue, anything that has praise. Think on these things. That's how you go forth. And then you get in the presence of Almighty God and you draw your strength from Him. But you've got to keep yourself in check. What you consider a loss is really a win when it comes to God, when it comes to spiritual living.